devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Matthew 7, verses 1 to 11, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 to 11. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. The first portion of these verses is one of those passages of Scripture which we must be careful not to strain beyond its proper meaning. It is frequently abused and misapplied by the enemies of true religion. It is possible to press the words of the Bible so far that they yield not medicine, but poison. Our Lord does not mean that it is wrong, under any circumstances, to pass an unfavorable judgment on the conduct and opinions of others. We ought to have decided opinions. We are to prove all things. We are to try the spirits. Nor yet does he mean that it is wrong to reprove the sins and faults of others until we are perfect and faultless ourselves. Such an interpretation would contradict other parts of Scripture. It would make it impossible to condemn error and false doctrine. It would disqualify anyone from seeking the office of a minister or a judge. The earth would be given into the hands of the wicked, Job 9.24. Heresy would flourish, wrongdoing would abound. What our Lord means to condemn is a censorous and fault-finding spirit. A readiness to blame others for trifling offenses or matters of indifference, a habit of passing rash and hasty judgments, a disposition to magnify the errors and infirmities of our neighbors and to make the worst of them. This is what our Lord forbids. It was common among the Pharisees, It has always been common from their day down to the present time. We must all watch against it. We should believe all things and hope all things about others and be very slow to find fault. This is Christian charity. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7. The second lesson contained in this passage is the importance of exercising discretion 
as to the person with whom we speak on the subject of religion. Everything is beautiful in its place and season. Our zeal is to be tempered by a prudent consideration of times, places, and people. Don't reprove a scoffer, says Solomon, lest he hate you. Proverbs 9 verse 8. It is not everyone to whom it is wise to open our minds on spiritual matters. There are many who from violent tempers to openly reckless habits are utterly incapable of valuing the things of the gospel. They will even fly into a passion and run into greater excesses of sin if you try to do good to their souls. To name the name of Christ to such people is truly to cast pearls before swine. It does them not good but harm. It rouses all their corruption and makes them angry. In short, they are like the Jews at Corinth, Acts 18 verse 6, or like Nabal, of whom it is written that he was such a worthless fellow that a man could not speak to him, 1 Samuel 25 verse 17. This is a lesson which it is particularly difficult to use in the proper way. The right application of it needs great wisdom. Most of us are far likely to err on the side of overcaution than of overzeal. We are generally far more disposed to remember the time to be silent than the time to speak. It is a lesson, however, which ought to stir up a spirit of self-inquiry in all our hearts. Do we ourselves never stop our friends from giving us good advice by our gloominess and our irritability of temper? Have we never obliged others to hold their peace and say nothing by our pride and impatient contempt of counsel? Have we never turned against our kind advisors and silenced them by our violence and passion? Alas, we may well fear that we have erred in this manner. The last lesson contained in this passage is the duty of prayer and the rich encouragements there are to pray. There is a beautiful connection between this lesson and that which goes before it. Would we know when to be silent and when to speak? When to bring forward holy things and to produce our pearls? We must pray. This is a subject to which the Lord Jesus evidently attaches great importance. The language that he uses is a plain proof of this. He employs three different words to express the idea of prayer. Ask, seek, knock. He holds out the broadest, fullest promise for those who pray. Everyone who asks, receives. He illustrates God's readiness to hear our prayers by an argument drawn from the notorious practice of parents on earth. Evil and selfish as they are by nature, they do not neglect the needs of their children according to the flesh. Much more will a God of love and mercy attend to the cries of those who are his children by grace. Let us take special notice of these words of our Lord about prayer. Few of his sayings, perhaps, are so well known and so often repeated as this. The poorest and most unlearned can tell you that if we do not seek, we shall not find. But what is the good of knowing it if we do not use it? Knowledge, not improved and well employed, will only increase our condemnation on the last day. Do we know anything of this asking, seeking, and knocking? Why should we not? 
There is nothing so simple and plain as praying if a man really has a will to pray. There is nothing unhappily which men are so slow to do. They will use many of the forms of religion, attend many ordinances, do many things that are right, before they will do this. And yet without this, no soul can be saved. Do we ever really pray? If not, we will at last be without excuse before God unless we repent. We will not be condemned for not doing what we could not have done, or not knowing what we could not have known. But we will find that one main reason why we are lost is this, that we never asked that we might be saved. Do we indeed pray? Then let us pray on and not faint. It is not lost labor. It is not useless. It will bear fruit after many days. That word yet never failed. Everyone who asks, receives. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory.